Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. We all know the verse of Scripture that says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And that word, vengeance, is a type of retribution. We can think of it in some cases as revenge. And God is telling us that we are not people to execute revenge. God and only God is the one who is capable to do this at the proper time and in the proper way and for the proper purpose. But be assured there is a day coming when God is going to give his people vindication. And the enemy is going to be a vessel of his retribution upon them. And when is that day? Well, it will take place immediately before the kingdom of God is established. Let's talk a little bit in this message concerning God's vengeance. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 94. The book of Psalms and Psalm 94. Now, this psalm is going to give us much information about God who is a God of vengeance, but a God of grace. And his vengeance, his retribution, his revenge will come, but at the right time, in the right way, and for the right reason. You and I, as human beings, we are not capable of being one who executes retribution because we are emotional we are oftentimes ruled by feelings rather than ruled by truth we can be hurt we can be injured emotionally and therefore we act based upon how we feel rather than as god does according to his standards of holiness righteousness understanding exactly the measure to use in order to put forth his vengeance. Now, in the book of Psalms, and this one in particular, notice how God is beginning to be described in this psalm. Psalm 94 and verse 1, where it says, A God of retribution. Now, this word for retribution is in the plural. So we're talking about an abundant vengeance. God executing his judgment, his wrath upon, upon those who are guilty. And God and God alone understands their guilt and what is the proper way to respond to it. So our God is a God of abundant vengeance. And that's why we say a God of vengeance, O Lord. That's who he is. And that day of retribution, that day of revenge is coming. But it's not a day that we execute. It's a day that God does himself. In fact, 
when we look at the scripture we know something all matters of judgment god the father has placed upon his son to execute it is messiah yeshua he is the judge of all judges and he will execute god's wrath when he comes back the second time immediately before establishing his kingdom now when we look at the next part of the verse we see that it begins in the same way we read god of vengeance and then it says hophia and this is a word for appearing so we need to realize that god he will appear and it's for the purpose of setting things in order and god in doing that will bring forth his judgment now this word hophia is in the past tense in hebrew and the reason for that is twofold number one we're speaking about god's vengeance in full strength remember it's in the plural secondly god in some ways has already began this putting this in place things are being arranged god is not an idle god god is moving he is doing and there are things moving forth in order to bring about this outcome as i said at the right time and in the right way look now to verse 2. we read it says rise up and the author is praying this psalm and asking god to rise up and do something what is that rise up judge the earth and again we see this correlation between vengeance and judgment it is only god's judgment that can put things in their proper order bringing about justice so he's beseeching god to rise up and judge this world that is a kingdom desire it's a kingdom call and then he says render and this is a word for for turning something oftentimes in a different direction so it's a term here for for retribution recompense and what it says here is simply place retribution or place your recompense upon the proud now this is very informative because we see that those who are proud what is pride in this context doing it my way i think i know best i will make the decisions that i want to make for my life that is the the pride that is being mentioned here and when we do it our way instead of god's way we are inviting upon ourselves this judgment so always be sensitive to the leadership of the holy spirit and the holy spirit always will speak to you in light of the word of god meaning there is a oneness there is a unity between the spirit of god's leadership and the revelation of scripture it's the same language because all scripture is inspired who inspired it the holy spirit so we read in the second verse bring retribution upon 
the prideful ones. Verse 3, until when? Now, this is a phrase in the scripture. It appears uh, frequently, and it's a calling for judgment and a calling for the judge. And obviously, we're speaking about Mashiach Tzitkenu, our righteous uh, Messiah, that he will come and he will be the one when he comes again to place judgment upon this world immediately prior to, and I hope you know what I'm going to say, immediately prior to the establishment of his kingdom. So he says, how long, wicked ones, O Lord. Now, in the world that we live in, and this is becoming ever more true, there is injustice, there is unrighteousness, there is wickedness thriving in this world, where that which is good is called evil, that which would have never been tolerated 20 years ago, now is being applauded by society. I hope you can see the changes and how they're taking place so quickly. And all of that is to inform us that the last days are approaching. So in this verse, the psalmist says, how long are the wicked ones? How long are they going to be left to themselves to accomplish their purpose? So how long, wicked ones, O Lord? And then he says, how long, wicked ones? And the next word is a word of rejoicing. It's a word of being exceedingly happy. So the question is, how long are the wicked ones, they're going to be satisfied, happy, content, rejoicing? What we know is this. These ones who rejoice in wickedness, they are going to be consumed by this vengeance of the Lord. And those, and I hope we're speaking about you and me, those who are thirsty, thirsty for righteousness, those who are grieved about the injustice in the world. Today, most of the world, when we look at it from a political standpoint, from a journalistic standpoint, what most politicians and most journalists see as justice is not justice at all. It is a falsehood that really speaks about about uh, rewarding that which is unjust, that which is contrary to the things of God. This is the world that we are residing in, and darkness, a greater darkness, is coming. And this psalmist is telling us it's going to come. God, our God, is a God of retribution. He will bring that judgment. Look at the next verse, verse 4. These individuals, it says, they, they express. So they speak and they express. And what do they do? Well, this next word is a word in this context for being insolent, being someone that's arrogant. So it's, again, rooted in pride, believing that you know what is best, and therefore, whenever something happens that is against your desires, you're bothered by that. And, and you demonstrate arrogance, which is a form or expression of pride that basically puts down other people. 
this is who we're talking about and these ones are going to be ruling over the world as the last days approach and certainly within that last day scenario so they express and they speak this arrogancy this insolence and they say among themselves and this can be understood as boasting they say among themselves to themselves about themselves they speak and who are we talking about all workers of iniquity they speak they boast in their objectives what they are doing what they are accomplishing and they're workers of iniquity they're prideful because they think what they're doing is good and they do it in order to exalt self well god is going to and this is why it's wicked god sees anything to exalt humanity rather than to exalt god as something that is going to be a a target for his retribution look at the next verse verse 5 the psalmist says your people O lord and then we have a word here that's probably best understood as as being broken into pieces one who is is brought into despair and depression and the psalmist is saying god your people are are broken they're in pieces they are discouraged depressed and downcast it's time for you to respond so your people oh lord they are downtrodden they are discouraged and your inheritance your inheritance they afflict now it's reminding god not as god needs to be reminded of anything he knows all things but it's for our sakes that that the psalmist is saying god i am reminding you i'm bringing before you the fact that your people they are your inheritance and they are being afflicted and we know that that's going to be true in the last days it is going to be the most intense time for believers to be afflicted but god will come and he will set things in order he will pour out his retribution his vengeance he will bring about revenge upon the enemy in order that god's covenant built people that they are are justified they are vindicated against the enemy and this is what the psalmist is asking for look now to verse 6 he says the widow and the stranger they kill now the implication here is this the widow has no one speaking in her behalf she is very vulnerable oftentimes the the sojourner is a foreigner and likewise he may be alone he's also vulnerable and therefore those who are wicked they exploit that they take advantage of that and it says here they kill and then the orphans some will say fatherless but it's simply the the basic hebrew word for orphans the orphans they murder now obviously we see that that they that kill and they that murder it's parallel to one another and we see again it's the 
victims, those who are vulnerable, that are being being exploited, put to death, and persecuted. And then we move on to verse 7. These wicked ones who are arrogant, who are full of pride, they, they don't have any sensitivity to the fact that there is God. Now, remember, the term Elohim is a very basic uh, word for God, and it relates to God who is judge. And this is what the world thinks. Because there is transgression, iniquity, sin, there is great injustice, unrighteousness, as we've been discussing, and it appears that God is silent. Now, if he's a holy God, a righteous God, a God that loves his covenant people, why isn't he doing something? This is the mentality of the wicked. And therefore, because of the absence of God's activity, they assume something incorrectly. And that is God is either not around, he doesn't exist, or like it says here, they say, Yah, this is a term for the Lord, he will not see. Or he does not understand, who doesn't? The God of Jacob. So they scoff at the fact that God, he, if he knows this, he would do something. So he must not uh, see these things. He must not understand what they are. This is a way of, of being very offensive to God, attacking the character of God. And again, we see that more and more in the world that we're living in. Verse, verse 8, we have a term for those who are very uh, uh, ignorant, those who are boorish, those who, who simply are insensitive to the truth of God. In other words, their conscience doesn't work. That which God has given to every individual to, to be able to perceive a degree of the righteousness of God, the reality of God, knowing God, their conscience apparently has been seared. It's not working. They are insensitive to anything that is of God. That's who they're talking about here. And it says, the boorish ones, the ignorant ones of your people, they should understand even that they should see things as the word of God reveals that there are changes that are coming that God will not be idle forever so let them understand this these boorish individuals and foolish ones foolish ones when it's the word matai when will they have understanding when will they perceive things correctly when are they going to simply look and understand based upon uh, what we would call common sense that emits from the conscience when are they going to understand the fact that god is patient god is long-suffering but that long-suffering will eventually run out and god's patience will end and then what will happen? God is going to do just what we've been talking about. This God of retribution, this God of vengeance. It's coming. And any delay in that, 
is for one purpose, God's grace. He is being gracious. He is delaying this retribution, giving people a time to repent. But much of the world exploits that grace. They, they do not utilize it properly. And they, they take this time to just do more wickedness. And more of those who are vulnerable, those who are weak, they're taken advantage of, and justice is far removed. That's what's going on in the world. Verse 9. The one who has planted an ear. Now, the idea here is making an ear, but it literally says, the one who has planted an ear, who's that? God. God's put that ear upon you and upon me and it says the one who is planted an ear he he does not hear is that what you believe that god's not hearing or the one who has formed an eye he he will not uh, look upon these things god's not noticing these things is that's what they believe well it's only a matter of time God's retribution, his vengeance, his justice is coming. And that's why we begin to see in verse verse 10, the one who, and this is a word for disciplines, the one who disciplines nations, will he not uh, also rebuke? And the one who teaches man knowledge. So God gives knowledge, and God will hold the world accountable for the knowledge he has revealed. And what we need to realize is that God is going to judge this word world according to this word. I want to say that again. God is going to judge the world according to the truth of his word. He is going to, and one of the best examples of this is found in the book of Revelation, where we are taken up. John has a vision, and he shares that with us, where the, the Ark of the Covenant is open up in heaven. And why is that? Well, what's inside the Ark of the Covenant? The law of God. Now, we know that God put that, that uh, bowl of manna and also Aaron's rod, but from a strict Torah perspective, and what we see in the book of Revelation, the emphasis here is upon God judging according to his revelation, meaning according to his commandments. He is going to do just that. And that's why it says, look again at the scripture. This is the one who disciplines nations. Will he not also uh, reprove them? And the one who teaches men knowledge, he is going to judge them. That's what the scripture is saying. Verse 11, the Lord knows the thoughts of a man. Now, realize this is God knows all things, but he knows the thoughts of every individual. And notice what he says about our thoughts. Look at the end of verse 11. Ki hema hevel, which means they, speaking about the thoughts of men, they are futile. They are in vain. 
We can think anything we want, but God is sovereign. We are not. And eventually, and hear this, eventually, everything is going to be brought under the authority of God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Yeshua, he is Lord. And those who have not received him as Lord, those who are not surrendering to him, they are going to be an object of God's wrath. They are going to experience eternal judgment, eternal fear, eternal sorrow, and eternal torment. That's what this God of vengeance will do. And let me just simply say, as uh, I have more and more relationships with seminaries and other theological institutions, I see a change today, a most alarming change. And that is that there's a tendency to, to only teach about a God who is loving, a God who is kind, a God who is forgiving, a God who is compassionate. Now, God is all these things, but there is a limitation. There is, the Hebrew word is gavul, there is a border to those things. And when God, and it will, his mercy will run out, his his, uh, uh, forbearance and patience will, will end, and God will judge. That's what we see in the book of Revelation. So realize, judgment day is coming. God is going to render forth his vengeance upon those who have no covenantal relationship with him. And that covenantal relationship I'm speaking about is the new covenant, a covenant of forgiveness. So God knows the thoughts of a man that they are futile. But look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who the Lord disciplines him. And how does he discipline us? From your Torah, you teach him. That's what we want. Now, notice here in this verse, there's a connection between discipline and the law of God. We need to use the commandments of God to bring discipline into our life so that we choose wisely and we submit. Discipline has a purpose. Discipline is to bring submissiveness. So God and the Torah, the Torah can be an instrument of death and curse. It is an instrument of, of judgment. But, praise God that his son, Messiah Yeshua, took all judgment upon himself so that we can have life, and that is eternal life, and blessings which are the promises of God. So we need to realize that God, he has set before us two things. And they come through one instrument, and that's the Torah. So we want to take the discipline in order to submit so that we can find life, life eternal, and the the blessings of the revelation of God. Now, in the Torah, we learn the parameters for redemption. And it's through our knowledge of the Torah. And let me give you an example of this. 
In the book of Acts, it, it emphasizes that there were many priests that were believing in Yeshua. Why is that important? Because priests, they were experts in regard to the temple service. What do I mean by temple service? Sacrifice. And therefore, when the scripture says many of the priests were believing in Yeshua, they recognized they had knowledge whereby that knowledge led them to conclude that Yeshua was indeed that sacrifice for sin. And through him, we can find, what do we find? Through him, we find grace that helps in that time of trouble. And therefore, what is that grace ultimately going to do? That grace is going to remove me from this world prior to the coming of God's retribution. I will be in the kingdom of heaven and I will escape all because of what he's done for me. And this is the good news of the gospel because we do indeed have a God of vengeance. Look again at verse 12. Blessed is the man whom, yeah, that is the Lord, will discipline him. Literally, you will discipline him. And from the Torah, you, this is God, but you will will teach him. And through this, what do we find? Verse 13, le hashkit lo, to quiet him. And this word means to bring a stillness, a calmness into him. To calm him from the days of evil. And it speaks here about unto he will dig a pit for the wicked. So you see the dichotomy here. You are either going to be comforted by God. He is going to quiet you down, calm you. Or he is digging a pit to put the wicked in. And what is the wicked? Those who have not experienced the grace of God. Those who have ultimately rejected God's grace. That's the only difference. You'll find someone who has lived wickedly, who has displeased God, but they fall under conviction, and they are led to believe in that proclamation. And because they, based upon the revelation of God's word, based upon the spirit of God uh, uh, touching their heart, what happens? They accept that gospel. Now, they may be just as wicked, but the good news is this. They experience the grace of God. Let me say it a different way. They experience the forgiveness of God. And through that, those who are wicked become an instrument of God's grace. They receive God's grace. That grace changes them. They become a new creation and they will have at eternal inheritance, a kingdom inheritance. So he says, to comfort or to quiet or calm him from the days of evil unto he will dig a pit for the wicked. Verse 14. Now, I like this because God says something so, so wonderful here. A word of encouragement, 
that gives us assurance. What does he say? For he will not uh, abandon, and who's that? The Lord. For the Lord will not abandon his people and his inheritance. He will not leave. Two very important things. Now, the word for abandon can, can speak of, we have the expression in modern Hebrew, bayat natush. That's just a home that was abandoned. It's not cared for. It's neglected. And over the years, it becomes just so in disrepair. No one leaves. It's just left by itself. No one lives there. Well, God does not do that. He doesn't abandon his people. And then the next one about leaving his inheritance, that's more of a cognitive, a purposeful way. So God won't be careless with us, nor is he going to be uh, against us, meaning leave us willfully. God is going to keep covenant with his people. That's what verse 14 is speaking of. For unto the righteous, so God is going to bring to righteous, what? His judgment will return. So when it says judgment here, it can be speaking about justice. It's a promise. For the righteous, justice will come about. So you may not be experiencing justice right now. You may be a person who is receiving much injustice. That's this world. But realize, there is a time coming when God is going to bring upon the righteous. Who's the righteous? His saints. Those who have received righteousness through faith. That's what Abraham received. That's what you can receive by faith in the seed of Abraham, Messiah Yeshua. And therefore, God is going to bring justice to us. And then it says, all the ones who are upright in heart, they will, what? They are going to come after it, meaning this. All those who are upright in heart, that justice is going to follow thereafter. They are going to experience it. Now we see something. In parallelism, we see the term siddik, that is the, the righteous, and also the ones who are upright in heart. So God is going to, to return justice upon the righteous and, and also all those who are upright in heart, they are going to, to receive that. That justice is going to follow after uh, this one. Verse 16. Who will rise up for me? Who's speaking? God is. And he says, who will rise up for me against the wicked ones? And who will take a stand for me against the workers of iniquity? Now, my wife's uh, favorite verse is from the book of Isaiah. When God says, uh, who shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah says, uh, I will. Now, this is a similar call. God says, who is going to rise up for me? Who is going to take their stand for me? Meaning battling evil, enduring persecution. Who is going to be faithful to God to represent him in this evil world at 
these last days and the answer hopefully is you and me that we are going to be the ones who stand up for him we are going to be the ones that rise up in his behalf to be a participant in the will of god rendering justice and then we see look at verse 17 begins with the phrase lule and lule is a word which means i want this to be i desire this it speaks about a situation that that may not be the reality now but we hope we believe and we want it to be so here look at the text verse 17 the lord i desire i hope i am confident that he will be a help to me and soon my soul will dwell and this is it's literally has dwelt it expresses confidence soon my soul has dwelt in what this stillness this quietness and it's in the past tense for one reason it is to show a promise i haven't experienced that but i know i'm going to and therefore it's as good as already taking place even though it may be in the distant future but we can be assured that that stillness that quietness for his people most certainly will be the reality in the future verse 18 again a verse that emits confidence and trust in god if i have said my my foot slips your grace O lord will support me so when i in the natural am slipping we can be assured that the grace of god will sustain us will bring stability in our life now part of this stability is seeing things correctly what does that mean seeing things from the perspective of god and you need to be asking yourselves am i doing that do i have god's perspective am i seeing things from his vantage point you say well how can i do that be in god's will do the things that god has commanded you to do when we obey god we are going to be placed in his will and we will see things correctly when you are outside of god's will you are going to be deceived and the the reality that's there is going to be to be uh, camouflage it is going to be obscured by disobedience so it's only righteous conduct that gives us a righteous perspective seeing things god's way verse verse 19 in the abundance of anxieties which are in me your comfort and it's in the plural your comforts so it's speaking about abundant comfort comfort my soul they will and this is a word for uh abusing now the word can relate to like an amusement park today that same word is used in that way and it speaks about something that is a source of joy 
of happiness, of pleasure. And what God is promising is this. Now at this time, as he says here, in the abundance of anxieties that are within me, but the implication is your abundant comfort, they will uh, cause me to rejoice. What's me? My soul. And then we have one of the most difficult verses in this this, uh, psalm, verse 20. Now, to understand what it's saying, because many, many translations take some liberties with it. But the first word is a verb which has to do with join together. It speaks about togetherness or unity or perhaps fellowship. And what God is saying, let's look at this verse carefully. He talks about a throne, and then we have the word havot, which is a word of of, uh, desire. So what God is saying is this. Will the throne of desire bring unity? Will it bring fellowship? And of course, the answer is no, it will not. When we are ruled by our desires, and that's why it's so tragic, that verse that says, God will give you the desires of your heart, do not understand it. Whatever I desire, God's going to give me. That is false. The verse is speaking about God putting into your heart his desires that he gives you, the desires that you should have. So it has nothing to do. In fact, look at this scripture. It says, the throne of desire, will it be joined together? It's the word for chaver as a friend, two people who are joined together. So it says, will the throne of desire ever bring about unity? The answer is no, it's not. And the one who forms or makes labor, and this is labor in a wicked ungodly manner those who are laboring who are creating something but creating something that's based in the wrong intent the wrong purpose it says here will it not be condemned and the answer here is yes it will they are going to be condemned every thought every action that is contrary to the purposes of god verse verse uh uh 20 again it literally says it's going to be condemned but it literally says it is going to be brought to the law so everyone who renders works labors for that which is unjust unrighteous it is going to be brought to the law meaning it is going to be judged and then we're told verse 21 they that gather against a righteous soul the ones who shed innocent blood they will be condemned so the previous verse literally it's ale chok that means they are going to be brought against against the law the law is going to render something so they're not going to have fellowship they're not going to be joined together and Will they not, the one who does that, are they not going to be brought unto the law? Meaning that there's going to be accountability. In the same way that that those that gather together against the 
righteous soul or the soul of a righteous one will it not will they all and the one that that uh, uh sheds innocent blood won't they be condemned verse 22 and it shall come about that the lord to me or for me will be a misgav misgav comes from a word which has to do with a refuge or defense it, it's putting something out of reach putting something up where the enemy can't get it so god is going to become for me this refuge this help and then he says the god a rock of my shelter so god is the foundation that rock and rock this word can relate to messiah as well of our shelter so god is going to be a defense god is going to be a shelter for his people to overcome and endure these difficult times god will help god will strengthen and now let's look at the last verse verse 23 he will return upon them who's them he will return upon them their iniquity so evildoers god will return upon them their iniquity and then it says and in their evilness he is going to do something now some will say he will cut them down but it's a word that speaks about that which is perpetual and what he's saying is that he is going to take an eternal action against them they are going to experience the outcome of evilness forever for perpetuality and then it says that same word again the lord our god he is going to bring about that which is eternal that which is perpetual so we need and the reason why this verse is here and it concludes this this psalm is because we need to realize and remember the world that we're in is a world that is temporary it is not going to endure god's judgment it is going to be consumed by the vengeance and the retribution of god and therefore if we don't have a kingdom home then we are utterly without hope and that's why over and over we want to be someone that shares the truth of the gospel that it's only through faith in yeshua that one will have that kingdom experience and that experience is forever and ever it is a perpetual experience but it only comes when you acknowledge i trust in god i believe that his standards are correct and when i examine his standards i find myself inadequate i come up far short and therefore i'm trusting in the blood of messiah as that redeeming element that gives me grace and mercy and causes me to be forgiven that in the same way that my sins were placed upon him upon that cross his righteousness was imputed to me and therefore i have been created anew as a righteous creature by the grace of god for the will of god understand that this inherent relationship between the righteousness of god and the will of god 
So let me conclude by saying this. There is a day of retribution coming. A day of justice that God is going to put forth. And it is absolutely necessary to be in that new covenant relationship with him so that this justice, this righteous, this retribution will be a blessing to you. And it will bring about for you the promises of God being received. So it's just that simple. You choose the gospel. You're choosing a righteous retribution of the promises of God. And if you reject the gospel, you are choosing that righteous retribution to be placed upon you and consume you with everlasting fear, everlasting sorrow, everlasting torment. There is only one way, and it's through Messiah, that you can escape this vengeance that is coming upon the world. Choose wisely. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. <music>